Woman Jekka, Haramai. Welcome to Voices of Regen, a place for unapologetically bold conversations about regenerative business. And today, um, Matt and I are really excited to be introducing our very first episode of the Earthshot series. If you're wondering what that is, make sure that you check out our most recent podcast episode, which introduces what the Earthshot series is all about. Today's theme for the Earthshot series is looking at the first of the five Earthshots in the Earthshot Prize. That was a lot of Earthshots in that last sentence. <laughs> um, today we're going to be exploring the Earthshot of Revive Our Oceans. And I'm going to hand to Matt, who will share a little bit more about what that's all about and introduce our guest. Kia ora, everyone. So, yeah, this is super, super exciting because I guess as part of this Earthshot series, we want to step through each of the five Earthshots and relate them to some of the inspiring projects that Regeneration Projects is up to, but also other people, collaborators that we're working with and other people that are out there in the world doing amazing things. So when we thought about Revive Our Oceans, it immediately made us think about our strong alignment to working on the regeneration of waterways and the way that the regeneration of waterways from an ecological point of view is also linked to cultural and also economic regeneration. So we see them all as being in, intertwined. And the most significant project in this space that we've been working on for a number of years uh, is working towards a swimmable Biruran Yarra River by 2030. Now, for those that live in uh, Melbourne or the Birranga River country that's now known as Melbourne, then you would know that uh, like many cities around the world, the the idea of swimming in the Yarra isn't the most attractive proposition, but having had the opportunity back in, well, actually in multiple times, but in particular uh, in 2019, as part of a fellowship and visiting different swimmable cities. So Copenhagen, Oslo, uh, and also Helsinki, uh, seeing some work that's been happening in New York around a project called Plus Pool, it really just sparked a seed that those people that have been advocating for a swimmable Birurung Yarra River for many years, including the Yarra Pools project, um, it's just, it's, it's got to happen. It's just, it's, it's so, it's so real. It's a no-brainer to anyone that shares, um, you know, that lives locally, that hears that idea, they get it straight away. But I guess in particular in that project, what we've been doing for the last couple of years, and it has a link to this, uh, this podcast, because Claire and I initially teamed up uh, on what was called the Trans-Hasman Regen Pro um, Project, which is what the prelude to this. And we started with a series of events and the first one was framed as swimmable cities. So the idea was really looking at our waterways differently, including our oceans and thinking about, you know, what are the, what are the, the trends? What are the patterns? What are the, are the opportunities for regeneration? So Claire, I want to pass back to you just for a moment, because there were some triggers that uh, of things that are happening our, in Aotearoa around your care of uh, waterways that are significant, not just for your country, but for cities around the world. Kia ora. yeah, Matt. Um, I think one conversation that we had during that initial call um, that really resonated and made me feel very proud to be a Kiwi and um, someone who lives in Aotearoa was um, the personhood that was given to a river in New Zealand, um, the, the Wanganui River. And I think um, 
that is so reflective of the way that nature can be valued as something that should be protected um, and you know not only protected in a way sort of in a um, in a performative way but in a way that is um, protected by law and so that was something that got me really excited um, during that conversation and certainly something that really stands out. Yeah and then if we look across to here in Melbourne we have uh, the Yarra River Protection Act 2017 with the Birrurung Council and in particular the Wurundjeri community here in Melbourne has been super active uh, in and so we're seeing the patterns but uh, I guess when we think about swimmability that idea that we could have uh, river bars we could have floating saunas where people are stepping out you know in the middle of winter and jumping into the you know the, the beautiful waters uh, rekindling stories um, such as the Nawi, Dr. Carolyn Briggs, one of the elders that we work closely with, she talks about the relationship with the falls and there's augmented reality experiences that bring the story to life. But it, it's the power of this idea of swimmability, not from the sense that it's just great for people to be able to swim in a river, but it's all the things that would contribute to that factor. So the water health needs to be at a certain point, which of course creates ripple effects for the broader ecology for the platypus, for the plants, for the swans, for the cygnets, or those baby swans that are in there. And so we also get a sense of understanding that blue spaces, our oceans, our waterways contribute to our mental health and well-being as part of the ecosystem services that they provide. And of course, that tourism, as well as all kinds of other businesses, rely on the Birrarung for its backbone. But we need to change that relationship from an extractive one where people take away and, and take for granted that relationship uh, with the river into a regenerative one. And so that's why when we got the opportunity to sit down with Loretta Bellato, who is a PhD candidate at the Swinburne uh, University Centre for Urban Transitions, uh, Loretta was actually in that first event that we, we uh, ran, uh, but Loretta and I sit down uh, at the point known now as Diets Falls, uh, to talk about her PhD and for her to ask me some questions around that PhD so that she continued, can continue to do her work on the swimmable Birrarung by 2030 as a case study. So with that context, we hope you enjoy listening. Uh, and this, uh, of course, is just our first of the five Earthshot series focusing on Revive Our Oceans, which we will link to our uh, work at Regeneration Projects um, as the Swimmable Birrarung or Yarra River by 2030. Enjoy listening. Womanjika, come with purpose to this Voices of Regen podcast. My name is Matt Sykes uh, and today I'm sitting with the Birrarung, the Yarra River here in Nam, Melbourne, along with uh, a colleague and collaborator, Loretta Bellato, who is a PhD candidate at Swinburne University and its Centre for Urban Transitions. Uh, Today we're going to be spotlighting some of the work that we've been involved with uh, to do with the swimmable Birrarung Yarra River by 2030. And in particular, we're going to be zooming into the research collaborations that Loretta and Regeneration Projects have been working on. Uh, but just before I go into that, of course, we want to acknowledge the First Nations connections uh, to this place. So we're actually sitting uh, just downstream of Dites Falls, which is a really important 
a cultural place for the Kulin peoples, and in particular the Woiwurrung and Wurundjeri people, uh, and of course uh, the other members of the Kulin nation uh, as well. The Birrung is a living entity that is, uh, I guess, the lifeblood of our community, and being here as another one of the representatives from Melbourne's First Nations community, Nawi, Dr. Carolyn Briggs, Boomerang Elder has described Yarra actually, the Yarra got its name from uh, one of the early uh, settlers or uh, colonial ex explorers, if we want to call them that, uh, and pointing towards the falls and asking what's that, and the response was Yarra which means falls. So Yarra uh, means falls rather than Birurung, which translates to the Yarra, sorry, the river of mist and shadow. So acknowledging those First Nations connections to place, acknowledging the Birurung, Yarra River uh, as the lifeblood of our community, and also acknowledging the many paths of people that have come to shape and create a relationship with the river as also, and also, most importantly for this conversation, to recognise its potential for regeneration. And by that, we're not just talking about ecological regeneration, we're talking about cultural regeneration, we're talking about economic regeneration as well. So having laid uh, that foundation, I'd like to pass the mic across to Loretta, who, as part of her process, is conducting a whole series of uh, research interviews uh, and uh, we're going to run through some questions and, and put me in the spotlight uh, for this. So it's very much a collaborative process, um, but it's just a way of building this story and connecting with the work that so many uh, stakeholders and, and actors have been involved with already, uh, including the Yarra Riverkeeper Association, including Yarra Pools, uh, and including a growing wave of people that believe in the vision of a swimmable beer run by 2030. Over to you, Loretta. Fantastic. So, Matt, I'm wondering if we could start by you sharing uh, why you uh, became inv involved in this initiative and ha how it all happened. Yeah, so look, uh, I guess my connection to the beer run comes through, in particular, my mum's side of the family. So my pa, her, her dad, would take photographs of the Birrarung. And so I grew up with images of the river uh, kind of imprinted into uh, my sense of, of the world. And he acted, uh, his name was Ted Good, and he used to work at the Melbourne Metropolitan Board of Works for, you know, 20 plus years. And so that's kind of the, the precursor to, I think, Parks Victoria, but also a number of other state departments when it, it's kind of reformed. Uh, and there was an image, uh, sorry, a publication that he was involved with helping to produce, uh, which was their regular magazine. And I used to see the way that images of the Birrung, uh and in particular the, the structuring of that in relation to floods. Uh, and I remember seeing images of uh, flooding of Richmond, Abbotsford and uh, kind of, uh, I guess, different infrastructure works, including, uh, I remember seeing images of Como Park 
uh, and the way that our parks could act as retention basins to kind of support the community to, to live with uh, the Birrung Yarriba. So I guess I've always had that. But if I fast forward to 2019, uh, uh, I was working at Peninsula Hot Springs and I was fortunate to pick up a travelling fellowship through the Victorian Tourism Industry Council, the Lynette Bergen Fellowship. And so that gave me the opportunity to travel throughout the world looking at uh, hot springs uh, and bathing culture, wellness tourism, but also swimmable cities. So I looked uh, at Oslo and their floating saunas there, Copenhagen, their harbour bars. I'd been uh, to Zurich many years earlier. So I was amazed at the way, and also Finland, Helsinki, with a number of its saunas and bathing facilities. But I was amazed at the relationship that uh, the these communities had with their waterways. And naturally, it made me think about our relationship with the Burrung Yarra River, the way that we turn our back towards it, and the opportunity to strengthen that relationship. So that piece of work led towards uh, a strategy called the Great Victorian Bathing Trail, which again built upon the work of, of many, uh, but essentially proposed a vision for a 900-kilometre-long uh, tourism trail that would link hot springs, sea bars, mineral bars, and of course the uh, a swimmable Birrung through uh, the Yarra Pools project uh, up uh, as a continuous tourism uh, trail. And so since then, back in 2000, and I think it was 2020, uh, we started a series of conversations through what was then the Trans-Tasman Regen uh, project uh, and a round table around a swimmable birrung. And then that kicked off in a whole series of conversations later, teaming up with yourself, Loretta, through this research uh, and a, a whole series of other parallel conversations with the Yarra River Keeper uh, Association and their work uh, to form a business partnership program. Uh, it creates a confluence of, of energy that is part of a bigger whole. And um, I guess for regeneration projects, it's just waterways are so such a critical it's a critical indicator of how a community relates to it, its environment and by working towards a small wilburung it has the potential to have so many positive ripple effects for our broader community so the more that we can work with others to contribute towards that vision we believe the stronger that will be for a regenerative future for NAM Melbourne I'm wondering if you could share a little bit uh, uh, about the actual place that this project is, is um, seen to be working in and, and what, what's valued about it and unique? Yeah, place. Place and, place and identity. Place and cultural identity seems always to be moving and changing. So. If we, we start where we are at, at Diet's Falls, uh, and as I said earlier, you know, falls and the word for Yarra being interchangeable, then we acknowledge that the salt water from uh, Nam Port Phillip Bay actually now comes up as far as Diet's Falls. But that wasn't always the case. So. Uh, the, the place had a different formation at, at that point when 
European people first arrived here. So if we look at the Kulin people's connections um, with the Birrarung, from what my understanding is, the falls which uh, used to uh, exist around Queen's Bridge uh, and were effectively um, blown up using dynamite to create a turning basin for ships to be able to come in and establish one of Melbourne's first ports. Uh, but that, those falls were a really important crossing point. And you can imagine, you know, this is where kilometres uh, away, I think over five kilometres away, probably closer to seven or ten kilometres away from that point. So that was a really important uh, crossing point. But if we look just at that section between Dyett's Falls, uh, the falls at, down at Queen, well, what is now Queen's Bridge, uh, and also just a little bit further downstream from there, there was also the Blue Lake, which uh, when you hear the elders talking about it was this incredible uh, oasis with incredible bird life. Um, and then the shape of the Maribyrnong, uh, the Mooney Mooney Ponds, uh, and the Birrarung coming and intersecting, all of that was, was changed and shaped. So we talk about place, and place is always evolving and, and changing. So I think one of the things that uh, feels relevant, and I guess we describe it as an acupuncture point today, is that this space between Docklands and Dyett's Falls seems to be a key point of where civic life and, and visitor uh, activity seems to take place. And so if we understand that as a, a, a place where we could, we could potentially work towards a chain of swimming experiences uh, between Dyett's Falls and Docklands, that's for this project, the way that we're kind of understanding and, and framing it. Awesome. So, so, can you, uh, it's very interesting what you're saying about uh, how the uh, this place is intersecting uh, with some of these broader systems of uh, tourism and community and uh, civic life. I'm wondering uh, if you can talk a little bit more about the role, the role of the Birrarung in relation to the rest of Melbourne and what's unique about that relationship and, and what you see, um, how, uh, how you see swimming uh, contributing to, to that. Yeah, so if, I guess if we just, you know, go back as a reference point to some of the conversations that we've had with leaders in Melbourne uh, in relation to this research. It's amazing um, that it is such a powerful connector and common, uh, well, I was going to say common ground, but co common waters, um, in the sense that everyone has seems to have a story and relationship to it. So it feels like there's a, a collective identity, collective sense of ownership, a collective uh, belonging that we can associate with the Birrarung. So whether that's experiences that the people have had riding their bikes, uh, you know, along the river, you know, towards university uh, or towards work, as as I have uh, done, but so many others, um, whether it's through exercising, whether it's like uh, the person standing on the other side of the river as we speak now with her dog, uh, and you know, going for a morning walk, whether it's having a, a picnic, 
at different points. Uh, it's something that really brings Melbourne together. But the trick is, is that we haven't always experienced that sense of closeness. And from an urban design perspective and a civic life perspective, um, there are barriers in our mind. And one of those barriers, that, that one of the signs of those barriers is actually that the lower uh, Yarra, the area that we're talking about, actually has a, uh, an overlay which means that it's illegal to swim in it. And if we go back historically, of course, acknowledging the First Nations connections uh, through fishing and uh, ceremony and no doubt through, uh, through swimming and, and bathing and drinking water and so on, then there's been a whole series of points where People have had, you know, bridge diving competitions. There used to be the Yarra of a Swim, which I think ran up until even as close as the 1990s. Uh, but I think something that really resonates for me, I think is important for the, this research process, is that so many businesses, including tourism, events and hospitality businesses, restaurants, cafes, convention centres, civic spaces, galleries, these all rely on some way through proximity, through brand imagery for the Buron as a backbone for their business and organisation and therefore for our economy. And yet at the moment we could say that it is an extractive relationship because that there is, there is little reciprocity. So we might use images as, yeah, as Regeneration Projects does of the Birrarung in its uh, collateral for flyers and websites and this type of thing. Uh, and yet, it, it's what what actually do we give back? Uh, when we've got the tennis events on and you have water bottles and tennis balls floating along the Birrarung, what is the payback? What is the give back to say thank you, you know, for, that, for being that backdrop of our events? And I think that's the opportunity that we have when we talk about place is that our relationship with it is always changing. And we, when we look at it in the context of this decade of regeneration, decade of action, um, we need to find ways of regenerating place. And that means questioning our relationship with it and working towards reciprocity. Fantastic, I'm glad you brought up reciprocity. Um, and I'm wondering uh, what you see uh, will guide stakeholders, particularly tourism stakeholders, but also others in business um, and, and civil society, what will guide them to develop a reciprocal relationship with the Bureau? So there's probably two answers to that question that come to mind. One is, if it's something that we deeply care about and love, naturally that generates a sense uh, of wanting to look after it, wanting to leave it better than we found it for future generations. And that naturally there is a, an intergenerational responsibility that is sparked by that feeling and that, that sense of connection. If I talk about it through the context of uh, a more intellectual framework, uh, Regeneration Projects uses the five capitals model as a way of guiding businesses to see the, their, the diverse value uh, and also range of stakeholders that they have as part of the way that they do business. And that is internally but also externally. So 
The five capitals are natural capital, well-being capital, cultural capital, uh, material capital, which relates to the circular economy, uh, including the flow of, of money and value, and then also intellectual capital and knowledge. And so if we start with the foundation of that, it is our natural capital our ecosystems and the ecosystem services that they provide that are the backbone of our community and our life. So if we look at the ecosystem services that the Birrarung provides, uh, we might start with something that uh, people become aware of during lockdown, uh, but it will not come up on Melbourne businesses' uh, profit and loss statements. And that is the ecosystem service of mental health and wellbeing promotion. We we learnt during lockdown that uh, exactly what Parks Victoria says, healthy parks, healthy people, our green and blue spaces are critical to our individual and collective well-being. And so when businesses have staff that work, walk along the Birrarung towards their offices, when they are coming into their offices, then that is helping to promote their well-being and, and therefore their well-being then comes into the productivity of the businesses. If we look at, from as I mentioned earlier, the, the, the branding and marketing aspects, we can see that the imagery, the proximity of the Birrarung has value to these businesses. Um, it's, it's also, you know, it has, uh, I guess, a relationship with the, with the business culture of our city because so many of the activities um, that we run, it kind of in some way crosses over with the Birrarung at some point. You always find yourself meeting at the Birrarung or around the Birrarung. And so when we start to draw these connections that somehow uh, can often be hidden, sometimes like our waterways, like the stream, the creek that runs along Elizabeth Street and comes out, uh, these connections are very real, but it means that we start to shift our mindset uh, in our relationship uh, and we could say oh the government should look after that and Parks Victoria and Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning and you know we pay our taxes but the truth is is that regeneration means going beyond sustainability. Those organisations have enough resource to maybe achieve sustainability but in order to support a process of regeneration we need more energy and resource and from my perspective uh, our business community including visitor economy has, has an opportunity and, to be honest, a corporate responsibility to give back to the Birrarung as well as our other waterways um, across our city. Fantastic. Can you uh, share what you think the unique contribution is that tourism could make? Well, I mean, if we, if we just come back to where we started, and I, I use that phrase, Womanjika, and it's a phrase that First Peoples have used here to greet people for uh, millennia. Uh, and you can hear multiple uh, translations of that, of that phrase. One is welcome, another one is to come with purpose. And when we think about hospitality, it is, wel is to welcome people. And when uh, the elders and, and culture uh, carriers uh, offer a tandem or a rite of passage when they do their welcomes uh, to country. They are creating space for us to be uh, and to experience and to share in the beauty of what we now know as Melbourne. 
So if we just come back to the basics of hospitality, whether we are greeting people to our backyard, um, to our home, or to our city, then I guess, to be honest, the, the, the Birrarung, the Yarra River, is one of those, um, those, those, those gateways, those rites of passage, those places that visitors come to. And so many businesses know this because they position themselves along it and they create experiences with the river as the backbone. Um, so it makes total sense that we, as an, in, as, as an industry, the visitor economy, uh, start to think about, okay, we've got this relationship. What does that mean when we start to address things like climate change? What does that mean when we start to address, address things like reconciliation, biodiversity loss, waste management, uh, all, of, all of these, and mental health, all of these things. But the power of the visitor economy to present and say, you know what, the way that we're going to, to uh, offer visitors to experience this place now is that we want you to help us through um, creating the regeneration of our city. You're going to help and work with us um, through that process and we need you. We need you to support organisations like the Yarra River Cooper Association that do grassroots work. Uh, there's ways for, to get involved through partnering days, cor you know, corporate partnerships, um, planting days, uh, litter cleanup, sit up citizen science. You can get involved in that as a visitor. Um, we as a business are giving back to them th through things like 1% for the planet as an example or B Corps might be doing it as part of um, their commitment to uh, the environment. But it doesn't even matter if businesses don't have those alliances. It's just a practical thing of when we visit, when visitors come to a place, we, we present and show our best selves, and that includes a healthy and beautiful Yarra River. Fantastic. So I just want to ask a bit about the knowledges and skills that need to be developed for us to be able to work towards a, a more regenerative uh, approach to caring for the river. What, what knowledge and skills do you personally need to develop or want to develop so that you can play a role in implementing these changes? Yeah, look, to be honest, one of the, one of the first things that comes to mind is Kulin language. Uh, because embedded in language it's like, well, it is like a, it's, it's like a gateway and it helps us understand place because there's all kinds of things that get embedded in language that are so subtle and have different um, contexts and reference points. And so I feel like I could have said, oh, let's, you know, let's do some, you know, scientific mapping and some, uh, we'll look at the bioregions and we'll look at the ecosystem mapping and uh, ecological vegetation communities and that type of thing. But I think probably starting from a human world as a gateway into the natural world, um, particularly with First Nations culture, because often the First Nations worldview is an ecological worldview where, where, where people are positioned as part of a bigger whole. So I think if we can find language that relates to the Birrarung and to Nam Melbourne, then 
uh, it gives us, it starts to shift the way that we see ourselves in relation to, in relationship to this place. So even the phrase Birurang, river of mists and shadows, or Birurang Ga, river country, uh, it, it gives us a sense of, oh, okay, so this is what it feels like, this is what it is like to be in this place, and then it, it starts to paint a picture of how people have lived here before, and I think that's powerful because then we start to get all kinds of images around, you know, uh, billabongs and chains of ponds and the fact that it wasn't, you know, a neat, uh, straight river. Uh, and so then we start to think, okay, well, if it's not a neat, straight river and that some of the impacts of colonisation uh, have been to straighten it and to divert it and to, and to colonise it, um, and some of which, you know, we, we can kind of look in retrospect and is, is practical because, you know, uh, taking or channeling water out of certain wetlands and billabongs has allowed us to create and establish the community that we've got now and, you know, cultural institutions and a life and all kinds of things. Uh, but we need to become aware that underneath all of that, in relative time, 200 years, doesn't change the ecology, it doesn't change the hydrology and the water system. So I think uh, for me to understand the First Peoples' language and cultural relationships with the Birung, past, present, and the visions of also young, young people as well, it helps me understand something that might be otherwise hidden. Uh, and then I think in order to do that, then we've actually got to build capability of working across cultures. Uh, and so being able to, to listen both ways and to explore intercultural weaving and to form intercultural partnerships I think is critical, and that's just not just between Western people or, West, or European people and First Nations people, but it's across Melbourne's diverse community. I think um, when we talk about swimmable Birrung, there's no one person, organisation, or even an, uh, a group of organisations that can realise that vision. Literally, it's thousands of regeneration projects that could go under the banner of, of that. Um, and to be honest, some people are so many people are already doing things that contribute towards that vision of a, of a healthy uh, and eventually swimmable uh, Birrung, but I can guarantee they won't be using words like regeneration. Uh, and that's, you know, that's important to understand as well. But I think, uh, so if I was to recap, First Nations language, I think working across cultures, uh, and I think partnerships and, and collaboration uh, are probably the, the, a couple of the things that, that come to mind. Uh, and probably the, the final thing that I think is also important, one of the things that always guides me is that if we look at some of the plants that exist along the river banks, including blackwoods or acacia melanopsilin, uh, and also we've got, I think, silver wattle uh, behind us over here, or they might be blackwood oil, to be honest, I always get them confused. Uh, but they are nitrogen fixers, and their job is to come in and support an ecosystem to create foundations that enable uh, future generations of plants, and some of them more long-lived, to come in and to thrive. And so I'm aware that there is a value in individuals, organisations and collectives of people to act as nitrogen fixers that work together but lay foundations for future 
uh, people and ecosystems to live. And so I guess I feel like there's a lot of those nitrogen fixes that are out there in, in Melbourne and maybe we're a couple of them. Uh, but I think that's just a natural part of uh, ecology and a lesson that I've gained from, from watching and observing uh, this place. You've talked a lot about the unique role and, uh, and important uh, knowledge that uh, First Nations people can contribute uh, to this initiative. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how um, First Nations uh, people have been involved in this work so far, their roles and what you hope for the future. Yeah, like I guess I, I'm just one person in, in this conversation. Uh, I, I guess it's just as a, not a, a side, like a, a tangent, but it, but uh, if we look at the Yarra Pools project, uh, I know that they've engaged um, strongly with the Wurundjeri uh, Land Council uh, and the elders there. Um, and uh, those conversations are really important. I think it what I've also learned uh, through other work, in particular with uh, Boomerang Elder Nawi, Dr. Uh, Carolyn Briggs, AM, is that sometimes, uh, sometimes working and engaging with First Peoples, it's an interesting one because from a, a Western person's perspective, we might assume that a vision of a swimmable Boomerang naturally fits and aligns with. Uh, the values and aspirations of uh, a First Nations community. And we could say that, yes, you know, on, on one level, and this is just my perspective, we could say that that idea of caring for country and country caring for us and at a swimmable Birurung totally fits in with that. But um, what I have seen is that there are so many non-First Nations organisations, individuals that reach out to First Nations organisations that ask for their support on a whole range of things, from from PhDs to, to you know to reconciliation action plans to um, you know writing books and so on. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that in some of this work to date, I think there has been conversations. I know Yara Pools has worked with the Wurundjeri, for instance. Um, through some of the work that we've done together, we've worked with Nawi Carolyn. She was involved with an, the event that we did back in the start of 2020 that brought together leaders from Aotearoa and, and Australia. She was one of the key speakers. Uh, I worked with Nawi Carolyn on a whole lot through a, another, another project called Kamagi Yelend, or the Rising Knowledge Project, and she often talks about the Rupurung and waterways in that context. She's also uh, an advisory member of the Regen Melbourne uh, network, which we'll probably talk about uh, as uh, later as, as, I guess, an organisation that has the potential to support the, the growing of this work. So I guess it's, it's becoming more and more embedded. Um, you know, we had an interview uh, with the gentleman who does the walking uh, tours along uh, the river. I've forgotten his name. Just the moment. There we go. Um, <laughs> Uncle Dean. Uh, and yeah, so it, it's kind of starting to happen, but I think 
it's going to be a journey. I think the stepping stones are there, um, but one of the ideas that has come up so far, and I think it's an important one in the early stage or the next stages of this project is essentially to work towards some kind of ceremony or rite of passage. Nawi Carolyn brought it up in one of our conversations. A tanderum, a rite of passage for people who are working towards uh, a swimmable birrung and that we could go through that collectively. Um, so I think there's seeds that are there. There are conversations that have been had, uh, but I think it in itself is going to be a journey of how people can work across culture. So it, it's happening, um, but I, I think it will continue to grow and hopefully it becomes an example or a, a lesson for other projects to work across cultures eventually as well. So just on that, and zero in on uh, the tourism um, planners and operators who might be really interested in working with First Nations peoples uh, on their projects and offering a tourism that's not culturally appropriating or exploiting Indigenous knowledges um, or using knowledges and practices that are outside of their original context and against the wishes of First Nations people. Are there any um, comments you'd like to make about that, about how tourism can, can avoid um, doing harm rather than good in, in their attempts to work with Indigenous communities? Yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting one because on, on the surface, I guess you could you could say that organisations their their base kind of cultural infrastructure, if you like, should include a really genuine acknowledgement of country, and that you know that's on their website. It's it exists in their uh, at the beginning of their tours and events and experiences. Uh, that there's an opportunity where possible to work with First Peoples uh, operators to partner with organisations like the Puri Heritage Trust, uh, even the Botanic Gardens with some of their cultural ranges uh, there. But to be honest, I think that only goes part of the, of the way. Uh, I think what, as a society, we need to work towards is to explore what it would be like to experience Nam Melbourne as I'm going to say bicultural, but I don't mean that to preclude um, other diverse uh, cultures in, in our community. But I think if we could to work towards uh, the experience of Melbourne through a First Nations as well as a Western lens. I think that would be incredible. I think that's a bigger vision that we can work towards and I think that's not something that any one operator uh, can do but I think there are a number of leading organisations that could work together to support that vision and I think that really comes from uh, a place of listening to the First Nations communities, both local and other First Nations people that exist here and asking and hearing what are the strategic goals and objectives that they're working towards. And then to say, okay, well, how does that align with welcoming uh, visitors to this place 
you know, ongoing. You know, a little thing like uh, Nawi Carolyn talked about renaming the Yarra River as Buran, and and why why not? Why why not have the first peoples uh, or the cooler name for the river as the name for the river? Maybe it starts with dual naming, um, but I do think that there's value in working with uh, land councils, land and sea councils, going through reconciliation act action plans, cultural awareness training, uh, generally just educating ourselves, getting our finger on the pulse of First Nations artists and culture leaders and seeing what's going on, seeing the way that language is being brought into the city, uh, seeing the way that food, um, such as through Mabu Mabu, is being brought into the middle of Federation Square. These are all signs of our broader cultural and society evolving. So I prefer rather than creating a checklist of saying, well, you know, operators should do this, this and this, and then they become culturally aware. I think we've actually got to step back and look a little bit more broadly at uh, our society as a whole and our relationship with this place so that we understand it through a diverse range of perspectives, but certainly through a First Nations perspective, a Kulin perspective of this place alongside the Western and uh, and European that is the prevailing culture. Okay. Just to uh, change tack a little, I'm wondering whether you could share what the challenges or barriers are to enable this, uh, I suppose I'm calling it healing work that needs to occur in terms of cultural revival and building a more reciprocal relationship with the Bururung, um, changing the way we're thinking about about the Birrarung and how we how we care for country, um, what are the challenges and barriers that we need to overcome? Yeah, well, look, just as you started talking, it reminded me of an event that we uh, were both at earlier in, uh, well, at the end of last week, I guess you could say, on, on Sunday evening, it was the screening of Regenerating Australia, which is something that's, uh, I guess, a, a sequel to the 2040 film uh, and well, uh, WWF, uh, as well as Regent Studios, has helped to bring that uh, to life. But the beginning of that, Wurundjeri elder Uncle Ringo gave a, a talk, and um, he he talked about this as a time of healing and the importance of healing people first before we heal country. Um, and I feel like. feel like there would be a real risk that as our society we start jumping into rushing to to save you know to save the planet to, to just um, I guess talk simply uh, without really calibrating and allowing ourselves to process and acknowledge the challenges and trauma in some ways of the last couple of years and more deeply than that, the trauma that we have inherited from our ancestors um, and in particular related to colonisation. Uh, I think if we, there's some work that we do internationally through the fire circle and there's an elder, uh, Mac McCartney, who's based in England and he has spent a lot of time with First Nations communities around the world, including with the Iroquois uh, of 
of North America. And he was encouraged to trace his own ancestry back to uh, pre-Roman times, to Celtic times. And effectively what he talks about is the way that those of us with British or Celtic heritage experience at the time of Roman invasion a severe disruption and trauma that we've essentially exported around the world ever since then. And so when we look at the process of colonisation, we've actually got to go back to when we experienced colonisation ourselves. And when we go look, look through that path and kind of open ourselves up to that process of healing ourselves, then I think it allows us to connect more uh, peacefully, uh, more calmly, more holistically, deeply with the place that we now find ourselves so that we process and acknowledge that at this time of disruption so that we don't have to pass that on to our future generations. We don't, we don't have to pass that legacy uh, on. It's just like someone that experiences uh, trauma as a child through violence um, from their parents or drug and alcohol addiction or mental health, all of these things, these barriers that I guess every generation gets a choice on what to pass on and what to leave behind. And I would like to think that at this time where we've had more or less a reset uh, in our society and in our global society, that we could lean into that and that we could see a project like Working Towards a Small Birrarung by 2030 as a pathway for not only healing the river, but also healing ourselves and our community as a collective. Yeah, that really feels like a significant parting thought that people can sit and contemplate and uh, reflect on in the next little while. Uh, however, I do want to give you the opportunity to share any final thoughts, any final words uh, before we wrap it up? Yeah, look, I guess in, in doing more and more of this work with the Birrarung and, and really seeing it as we're sitting here by the water and looking at the, re the reflections and the beautiful morning light that we've got here at Dites Falls, um, I feel like in some ways the, the river is kind of guiding us or nature has a way of guiding us. And it might seem strange to say that but I guess it's no different to when some of the first ships that came here they were being guided or supported with the wind and it's no different when you read the signs of nature just like farmers do just like First Nations uh, people have a power to do gardeners do it um, you can kind of read the play and I think you, you can almost start to see uh, the intersection points. It's like playing basketball and sensing where the ball is going to be and being able to intercept it. So my sense is that the river wants to regenerate itself because nature just generally wants to regenerate itself. It's always working towards that. But what I get the sense of is that there is a growing number of people that are organising towards this uh, and in their own ways, finding ways that they can give back to the place and really use this time of transition that we're going through 
as a changing point. And one of those that's coming up is uh, the Regen Melbourne network. And so we're beginning to have conversations uh, about the way that that can provide, I guess, some, some support, some scaffolding, a playground for people that, that share in a vision bigger than a snowball beer run, that, but can express it through what what they're calling what we're, and what I'm calling. So I'm the working uh, within Regen Projects portfolio as the projects lead for Regen Melbourne. So Beacon Projects are something that we're we're kind of phrasing, and so the opportunity to see what the Swimmable Beer Run could look like as a, as a Beacon project where all of the, the, the key stakeholders working on the health of the river could come together uh, and be convened, be supported um, through some kind of background support. And exactly what that is and exactly what that looks like, well, we don't know yet, um, but I guess that's, that's for the river to guide us and for us to be patient um, to, to see what it wants to become. Um, but I think... Uh, project like this really is everyone's project. You know, it, it is literally thousands of little projects wrapped up into it and if we can play our role in one little part of it, then that's something that I'm excited to be able to pass on to my nephews and nieces and perhaps one day children. So that's that's a, that's a wrap up from me, Loretta. Is there anything that you want to chip in on before we wrap up? No, it's, it's been a pleasure working with you, Matt, so far, and I'm looking forward to the uh, future evolution of this project. So thank you for your time and answering these questions and would love to uh, hear from what people, the listeners uh, think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think uh, as a way of wrapping up, I think it's important to, to spotlight the, the importance of research uh, and inquiry as part of projects like this. And I think your PhD, which is looking at regenerative tourism, uh, and, and uh, I guess that's a, a bit of a, a heads up that there will more, more will be coming in this space. Uh, but one of the characteristics of Melbourne is that we invest heavily in education, and I think research is part of that. But the uniqueness about this conversation is that it's a, it's a conversation and a partnership between research and business. Uh, and research and business and the bureau run. Um, we're, working, we're working together here. Um, but it is really important and because it allows us to open up new paths of inquiry, find new language uh, and to work out, you, you know, um, things that we don't already know because I think we have to, in the regeneration space, we have to realise what we don't know before we can, we can grow and evolve. So on that note, thank you so much for listening in. Thank you, Loretta, for your leadership um, through your PhD, for creating the space for this conversation. Uh, and uh, we look forward to sharing more updates uh, through the Voices of Regen podcast, uh, as well as other communications as the project continues to evolve. Have a lovely day from the banks of the Birrarung at uh, Yarra or Dites Falls. All the best.